Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. We're going to get into it um, shortly, but I kind of have like a little introduction I want to start off with real quick. Um, in, in Legacy, starting this next week, we are starting a new series, and uh, the series ent- is entitled Silent Killers. It's entitled Silent Killers, and, and in this series, we're going to be talking about uh, three different areas, three different categories um, that we believe are silently killing and taking out Christians all over the world and taking out students, and, and those three things are shame, fear, and depression. Shame, fear, and depression. And I believe that this is necessary that we talk about this. And we're going to start it next week in Legacy. It's going to be three weeks long. But I kind of want to give you guys like a little bit of a preview, a little bit of sample. And it's going to be a little different the way I convey it to you guys as adults compared to conveying it to the students. Um, but I want to just help you guys however I can. And with Lord's help, it's going to be good. Um, but I think it's necessary for us to talk about this because we just want to expose different hidden areas that may be going on um, in people's life that they're not willing to admit to or, or may not feel comfortable talking about, which is shame, fear, and depression. And we believe that as we expose these areas, that God's going to be able to bring healing in their life. Because here's what I've learned, guys. I've been following Jesus since I've been, you know, very young. Um, as soon as I had a revelation and just understanding of, you know, God and Jesus, I gave my life to the Lord, um, serving, you know, in God's house as much as I can. And I, I think living for Jesus is fun. If there's anybody that says, hey, I don't want to give my life to the Lord because my life's going to be boring, I can tell you right now, Jesus invented fun, God invented fun, and it is such a joy living for God, serving in his house. And I, I'm not just saying that. I, I really do believe that. I really do believe that. But I, I think the worst thing in life is to not be saved, to be lost, to not have faith and not to have hope in Jesus. I, I really do think that's one of the worst things, if not the worst thing, to experience in life. But I think the second worst thing that you can have in your life is whenever you're saved, but you're still enslaved to so many different things. Where you're saved, but you let certain things get to you, and you're not able to enjoy the free gift of salvation that God has given you. And that's what happens with shame. That's what happens with fear. That's what happens with depression. And tonight, I want to talk about a weapon that is used by the enemy so many times to destroy families, to, to destroy individuals, to destroy in, uh, marriages, to, to even creep into churches and try to bring confusion, try to bring frustration, time to, trying to bring insecurity, and that is the word shame. Say shame. I want to be talking about shame tonight. I want to read a definition to you guys. I believe they can have it on the screen too, but it says this, shame. And please hold off on the sermon title as well. We'll get into that in a bit. But shame says this, it's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Now, I did some studying, looking into this, getting prepared for tonight. And uh, researchers did a study and they asked a thousand Americans what their views were and what their feelings were towards different things such as shame, um, guilt, and fear, and other feelings of that nature. And, and they asked a thousand Americans this question. They said, if you had to avoid 
any of these feelings, which one would you want to seek to avoid the most? Which one do you not want to have any part of your life? And surprisingly, 38% of Americans said shame. 31% said guilt. And 30% said fear. And I think it's necessary for us to talk about this tonight because the main thing is Jesus, right? That's the main thing all about Jesus Christ, his name being glorified his name lifted up, right? But I think it's our responsibility as a church to talk about things that people go through in life because life isn't just full of, you know, flowers and fun, but there are some dark moments in life that you're gonna experience, you're gonna go through, and you're gonna go through valleys, but it is not God's will for you to stay there forever. And I speak over you in the name of Jesus. If you feel like you're in a deep, dark pit or place when it comes to your relationship with God or or just view on life, God does not want you to stay there. And we're gonna be talking about this tonight. And here's what I've heard a doctor say about shame. Shame is the swampland of the soul. It's the swampland of the soul. And here's the thing. Shame is highly correlated to addiction, to depression, to suicide, to, to bullying, It's connected to eating disorders. And I want to look at the earliest moments and mention of shame in the Bible, and that happens in the book of Genesis. Anybody following along with me tonight? I'm going to look at the book of Genesis tonight, so please pay attention. I encourage you, feel free to take notes as well, so that way you can remember it, retain it better. Uh, But we want to teach you guys. We want to encourage you guys tonight. So can we just stand up in respect and uh, reading of God's word real quick? And I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and I want to read a part of uh, also chapter 3. So we got about 12 verses we're going to open up with real quick, but I want you guys to pay attention to this, and it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Say no shame. See, they, they felt no shame because they had no other opinion to contend with or oppose other than the absolute love of God. If you ever want to think about a perfect world, it was, it was the world of Adam and Eve, the, the, the first man and the first woman. The relationship with God was perfect. The relationship with other people was, was perfect. Uh, everything just worked perfectly. But then if we go to Genesis chapter 3, if you turn the page or look at the next chapter, in chapter 3, it starts with this. And we know the story of this, right? It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's the the thing about the enemy. The enemy always wants you to question God's word. Because God is the creator, but the enemy is the perverter. God is the creator, but the enemy is the perverter. He's going to make you think, and he's going to try to make you doubt God's word to believe whether it's true or or, or whatever. He's going to try to put doubt in your mind. He's going to make you think that living for God is too difficult or it's too hard to understand. And this is what we find, the enemy coming to Adam and Eve and questioning God. And the woman said to the serpent, you may not eat fruits from the trees in the garden. Um, The woman said to the serpent, you may not eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you you must not touch it or you will die. This is Eve responding to the serpent whenever, she, whenever he asked, hey, did, did God tell you to do this? She responded by saying, no, you know, God told me to do this. And the interesting thing is, you know, God never said that if you touch it, you're going to die. I think it can be very dangerous whenever we add our opinion on top of God's word. 
Sometimes people come up to me and say, Caleb, what's your view on this when it comes to, you know, politics or when it comes to people's view, opinion, perspective, and whatever. What do you think? What do you think about that? I said, well, it doesn't really matter what I think about it. It's, it's more important what the word of God says about it because that is the word that will stand forever. The flower fades and the, the grass withers, right? But God's word will stand forever. It can be dangerous when we add our opinion on top of God's word. And he said, you will certainly, um, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good, f- good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And here's what I want you to get. They weren't just physically naked. They didn't realize that they were just physically naked, but they realized that they were spiritually and emotionally naked because they never felt the weight of shame and guilt until this moment. Then it says this, the, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord, Lord God, among the trees of the garden. Have you ever, like, you know, you, you, whenever you're younger, you're with your mom, you're with your parents, you're with your, you, you know, your family, maybe just like uh, your, your sisters, your brothers, and, and you did something wrong, and, and somebody says, or your mother says, just wait until your dad gets home. Wait until your dad finds out about this. This is kind of what happened in, in the scripture. Adam and Eve, they, feel, they felt shame. They felt like they had to hide uh, from God because they did the one thing that God told them not to do, okay? So they hid. But it says, but the Lord God called to the man, Who, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam said that. Who told you that you were naked, God said? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat? from. And that's what we're going to read right quick with scripture. We're going to get into a couple more verses later on. But it was interesting to me whenever I read, you know, God say, hey, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? And here's the thing, like God also said, hey, where are you? Who told you that you're, like God is God. Let me tell you something about God. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. Uh, he's, he's omnipotent, right? He knows all things. He sees all things. He, he has all power and authority, right? Why would God say, where are you? Where are you? Uh, and, and why would he say, who told you that you were naked? God knew where they were, and he wasn't talking about just how they were physically. He, he was simply asking them, who told you that you were anything less than a child of God? Who told you that you were anything less than who I created you to be? Who told you that you were naked? Uh, My sermon title tonight is this, shame off you. Shame off you. Turn to the person next to you and say, shame off you. I think we've all heard the saying, you know, shame on you. You messed up. You did wrong. Shame on you. But I I just want to simply remind you what God's word has to say about you. Because God actually talks about you. He talks about himself. And God has nothing but, he has a lot of great things to say about you guys. And we love you guys so much. But before you take a seat, let's pray real quick. We'll take a seat and we'll get into it more. God, we thank you, Lord, for tonight, Jesus. This isn't just a message, Lord, with three points and, you know, an inspiring talk. And we get out of here and we go through life acting the same way, Lord. But this is the gospel being preached, Lord. Where there's the gospel, Lord, that's where there is power, Jesus. This isn't about me, God. This isn't just about the church and us ha- coming together, hanging out, having fun, Lord. But it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you being glorified. It's all about your name being lifted up, Jesus. We praise you.
you tonight, Lord. We pray over every single person, Lord. Let us have ears to hear, Lord, and and our, our hearts open up to receive what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. Thank you for standing in respect of God's word. Um, does anybody in here um, have a pet dog by chance? Anybody in here have a pet? I don't know if you have a pet cat. I'm not a cat person. I am more of a dog person. Um, but we have a dog at our house. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a photo of him or, or not. He's a little weird. He's a little awkward. Um, but we love him so much. And uh, he's actually a rescue dog. Um, we actually found him on Craigslist. And we met the owner. It was the most sketchiest thing. The owner pulled up. We, he said, let's meet at McDonald's. He came up. We gave him like 20 bucks for him. And, and we got him. And, and the driver just drove off in the pickup truck. But whenever we got him, guys, like, he, he was infested with the fleas. He was bloated. Like, he was abused. He was neglected by the owner. And what we did, we took him home. We took care of him. We cleaned him off. We gave him a home. We spoiled him quite a bit. We just love him so much. And his name is Mason. He's a mutt. We don't know exactly what kind of dog he is. Uh, how many people believe that mutts are just, like, the best dogs? I don't know. Ma- Mason's, like, he's an awesome dog. We love him, man. He's, like, part of the family. And uh, he's, like, we know he has a little bit of Jack Russell and a little bit of Boston Terry. So, you know, he could be called a BoJack. But, you know, for us, we call him Mason. And uh, we love Mason so much, but we gave him a home. We cleaned him off. And he's awesome. We love him. And, uh, you know, recently, he's been getting, getting into some trouble, guys. Like, honestly, like, what, what's been happening, what I mean by that is if we have anything left out on the counter, whether it's food or whatever, or if it looks like food, I, I, he will grab it, and he will take it in his cage, and he will hide it in there. He will hide it in there. Like, for instance, like, this, like a couple weeks ago, we got some Chinese food. And uh, we had like six fortune cookies on the kitchen table, and we left them there overnight. Would you believe that this dog, the next day we looked at the table, we were like, where are the fortune cookies at? We, we, we go to his cage, and we see six fortune cookie wrappers in his cage, just dispersed. And, and we just find him in the cage, and he's looking at us, and he's shaking like this. And we've been finding a whole bunch of random things. We're trying our best to pick up after ourselves, guys, okay? But... He's like, he's so hilarious. I love it. I mean, my dad kind of gets mad a little bit, but I think it's kind of funny and cute. But I kind of have, I want to, I have a video I want to show you guys real quick of what I mean. Um, If they can put it on there, media team. Oh, do you have a video? There's a video right before that. There we go. Turn up. Mason's cage every week. And this week we got a garlic container from Papa John's we got earlier today. Mason? What do you have to say for yourself, Mason? No. He's humbling himself. He knows, he knows he messed up. No, sir. That's a bad boy. He hit it in his cage, shaking. Aw. And then put the, put the photo of, like, what he looked like right afterward. The look of shame. This happened, like, a couple months ago or so, a couple weeks ago, and I took a photo. And I posted this. I didn't think I was going to be talking about shame tonight, but I had to incorporate this. But it's funny because, you know, if we come home sometimes and he's shaking, or if he's shaking or if he's just acting really, really weird, he acts weird regardless, but if he acts extra weird or he's in his cage, we know that something happened. And we're looking around that house like, okay, Mason, what did you do? What did you do? Um, but isn't it funny that, like, like he can experience shame, that, that even dogs can experience shame? What I'm trying to say is this tonight 
It, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're male or you're female, whether you're black or you're white, or if you're young or you're old, we are all susceptible to shame. And that's one of the greatest tools, tax, uh, tactics, and, and, and weapons that the enemy tries to come at us with, and that is shame. And here's, just like Mason, Mason, whenever he feels shame, he knows that he did wrong. He acts a certain way. Did you know that shame can affect the way that you walk? It can affect the way that you talk and that it can affect the way that you act, guys. That's what shame can do. But here's the funny thing. Mason did something that felt good in the moment, but he felt really bad afterwards. And it kind of reminds me of the story of Adam and Eve in the scripture that we just read where they did something that maybe felt good in the moment. It said that the fruit looked good to them, right? They did it, but they felt really bad afterward. You know the reason that they felt shameful? is because whenever they sinned, whenever they messed up, whenever they did wrong, all they knew was good. So whenever they felt bad, when they felt evil, when they, whenever they did something wrong, they said something doesn't feel right, and that's where shame came in. They knew what was right from wrong. Because they knew what it was to feel clean, they knew what it was to feel dirty, right? And here's the thing, guys, and it kind of reminds me of our walk with God because sometimes, you know, whenever you accept Jesus Christ in your heart, I don't know how your lifestyle was before God. I don't know if you were out there clubbing all the time, getting drunk, sleeping around, or, or doing drugs and all these different things. I don't know what your lifestyle was like, but something happens in your heart whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say to yourself, hey, I can't do the things that I used to do. I, I can't go the places I used to go. It's not about religion. It's not a to-do list. It's a to-be list to be more like Jesus. But once you taste and see that the Lord is good, something just changes inside of your heart where you have a conviction in your spirit where you say, I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't go there. I, I, I can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit whispering and speaking to you. And he is the helper and he wants to help you out in life, live a pure, powerful, and awesome life. So whenever you hear that voice, that's the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that voice still, but still just went the other direction though. I mean, we've all been there, right? You know that God's, you know that you shouldn't be doing that. You know you shouldn't be saying that, but what happens? We end up doing it anyways. And it kind of goes both ways, too, because there's some people out there living in the world, and they don't have any conviction. They, they don't know any better because they've never experienced any better. But if they only tasted and saw that the Lord was good and they received Jesus Christ in their heart, they would realize, man, life is so much bigger than this. Life is so much bigger than this. So I encourage you, if you're in a place right now where you know you shouldn't be doing something, if you keep on doing that, you may feel conviction at first, but the numbness will take over and you won't feel conviction in areas that you felt conviction before. And that is a dangerous place to be in. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing about sin. This is what sin does. Whenever we sin, immediately the enemy likes to bring in shame. It's not just sin, but he likes to bring in Shame, and this is my first point tonight. Sin promises satisfaction, but it can bring shame. Sin promises satisfaction, but it can bring shame. Have you ever thought to yourself, okay, this is the last time that I'm gonna do this. This is the last time that I'm gonna go there. This is the last time uh, I'm gonna talk to that person, hang out, what? I don't know, but you said to yourself, this is it right here. This is the last time, the last time after I do this, I'll feel content, uh, I'll feel fulfilled, I'll feel satisfied. This is it. But then you do it, and all of a sudden you feel emptier than you did before. You feel more shameful than you did before. Because sin cannot satisfy your soul like Jesus can satisfy your soul. And if you continue to go through life 
looking at different objects, things, and even people to satisfy you, to make you feel valued and fulfilled, you're going to end up at a place where you feel like you need more and more and more, but it will never be enough. But I promise you, if you give Jesus your heart, all of your heart, every single day, he will not fail you. We feel shame a lot of times in life, right? Whenever we go through certain things and what events am I talking about? What can bring shame? Shame can come in a number of different ways. Whenever you set a standard in your life, you say, okay, God, I'm gonna pray every single day. I'm gonna fast. Uh, I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna come to church. You put a standard in your life. Have you ever put a standard in your life and fell short of that standard? Like, this is it, God, I'm, I'm gonna do this. This is it. I'm not going back. And then all of a sudden, whoop. And you kind of feel like you're restarting again, and all of a sudden, shame takes over. It's kind of funny a little bit, but it's the real deal, guys. Shame takes over. Or maybe you, you did something to yourself, or you did something to someone else, or maybe you said something you shouldn't have said, or maybe you didn't say something that you should have said. And did you know that you can even experience shame, not just from you doing stuff to you, but from other people doing stuff to you, whether it was directly or indirectly, whether it was an offense, it was on accident, it was on purpose. We can allow things in our heart that should never be in our heart, and we can feel shame and the repercussions afterward. Whether it was a family member that failed morally, uh, your children failed morally, whether it was someone rejecting you or something rejecting you, Maybe something was posted on social media that was embarrassing, that you know that was a lie about you, but they still post it anyways, and you feel the shame afterward, you feel the worry, and you have the anxiety. Maybe somebody misused you or abused you, mistreated you, devalued you, and all of a sudden, something bad happens. We commit a sin, somebody else commits a sin, and then afterward, we feel the ramifications and repercussions of everything, and we feel like we're in a deep, dark place, and this is what shame does. Shame puts a weight on your life. It puts a lid on your life. You know, I don't know if you played sports whenever you were in middle school or high school, but whenever I was in middle school, I played um, football a little bit, and I played as a fullback and linebacker in my seventh grade year. And uh, this is my first year playing football, and I wasn't too familiar with the sport when it came to, you know, the playbook, the routes, and different things like that. Uh, and I ended up playing um, football, and they put me in the position of fullback and linebacker, like I said. One day, the coach came out with the whole team, um, huddled everybody together, and said, hey, today, we're going to look at the playbook, and we're going to be running routes. We're going to be doing some drills. So I said, okay, let's do it. He was explaining the different positions, what people were going to be doing. And I think he kind of thought I knew what the different signs and symbols on the paper meant, but I really didn't understand it too much. All I knew was like, coach, where did I go again? Okay, just run around that direction, block that person. Okay, got it. I didn't go to football just because, you know, I had a big passion for it or anything. I just wanted to hit people and look cool, you know what I mean? So I got into it, and he said, okay, hut. And, and I ran around this side over here, and, and I was blocking this person, but I didn't know that the play was the quarterback tosses the ball to me, and I'm supposed to run it. So I, all of a sudden, I look at the quarterback real quick, and he throws a ball to me. But before I could react, it just hit me and fell to the ground. There was a person there that wanted the same position that I played, and uh, he began to just make fun of me, to mock me, to just like, you can't catch a ball. You can't play football. And the reason that he said all this is because he wanted to be in the position that I was in. And I was never mean to this guy, guys. I was really nice to him, but he just had something against me. Uh, practice ended. We get, went to the locker rooms, got ready, went back to the classrooms. Um, I have to run an errand to go get something from another teacher real quick. So I go to the other teacher's classroom. As I walk into the classroom, 
Um, I don't know if this happened to you, but you walk in the classroom, class is already going on. There's a whole bunch of people in there, and it's kind of awkward, like, hello, I need to come and get this. This guy that made fun of me at football was right there sitting in the classroom, and as soon as, he, as, soon as I walked in, he said, oh, there's Caleb Rivera, can't catch a ball worth, and I, and I won't forget that moment, and beep, you know what that means, right? So, and I was like, I walked in, I didn't know how to respond, I didn't know what to say. But, but uh, I, I won't forget that moment of just kind of how it felt. And maybe it's not that simple or that small for some of you guys, but I won't forget that moment that just because I made a mistake, that he said I was a mistake and that I wouldn't amount to it, that I wasn't, just because I had one bad play, that I was a bad player. But this is what shame will do to you. Here's the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt says I've done something bad, but shame says I am something bad. Guilt says, sorry, I've made a mistake. But shame says, sorry, I am a mistake. And here's what the enemy will do to you. He will try to convince you that just because you did something wrong, that you are something wrong. But I'm I'm here to tell you tonight that failure is an event. Failure is not a person. Failure is an event. Failure is not a person. But that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They made a mistake, and they made the mistake. They felt like they were a mistake, and how do I know that? They hid. They hid, and that's the proclivity of sin, to hide from God. Whenever you feel shame, you begin to hide, but here's what I want you to know tonight. My second point, God never gave us shame. God never gave it. In fact, you were never meant to carry shame. You were never meant to experience shame. You were never meant to have shame in your life. That does not come from God. There are some things in your life that whenever you feel a weight and a lid and just oppressed, you need to say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. You got to go. This isn't for me. I don't have to live like this. I don't have to have this mindset. I remember this one time, me and my family, um, we we were hanging out, and uh, we went out of town for a trip, and we stayed overnight at at this one hotel. You remember this, Dad? I think you remember this. We were talking about it a couple weeks ago. Um... But as we're at this hotel, um, you know, you ever, like, you know, you leave the hotel, you leave the motel, and they say, like, hey, make sure you grab all your stuff before you go. Make sure you don't forget anything. Well, we did that, but I didn't check everything to make sure we didn't forget anything in the room. So we get back in the car downstairs, and as we're chilling in the car waiting, it hits me. Oh, my gosh, I forgot my tablet. I think it's in the room. And it was like an Android tablet. And whenever I forgot it in the room, I told my dad, hey, Dad, I think I forgot the tablet in the room. My dad, my dad said, okay, son, I was much younger back then. He said, I'm going to go up and get it. So my dad goes upstairs, he goes into the room, he notices that the cleaning people were there, that things were cleaned, but there was no tablet to be found. He walks out of the room, he's like, okay, where did that tablet go? And as he's walking out, and he goes downstairs, he goes into the lobby, and he finds a lady who's been cleaning, the, who cleans rooms, and she had a laundry basket, and he went up to her, and he said, and he just felt like to ask her, ma'am, did you find anything in the room that you just cleaned? She responded by saying, no, sir, I didn't find anything. But then he just, you know, because my dad, my dad, and the Holy Spirit speaks them all. No, I'm just joking. He's like, I just need to ask her again. He said, ma'am, I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you find anything in the room? The lady's all quiet. She's silent. She takes up the, the sheets, the towels, the blankets, and underneath all that stuff is my tablet. So make sure that you guys grab all your stuff before you leave your room, Okay. And don't just accuse every cleaning person when you miss something or lose something. It may just be in your pockets or something like that, okay? But it, made me, it just made me think, you know, 
my dad and we never gave her that thing, but that still didn't mean that we couldn't take it away. And yes, God never gave you shame, but that doesn't mean that he can't take it away. And if you have shame in your life, let me encourage you, give it to God. He can handle the shame. Jesus went through shame so that way we'd never have to experience the shame. But here's what happens. Can I tell you something? Whenever you fall down, whenever you stumble, whenever you mess up in life, the enemy's gonna come to your ear and he's gonna say, oh, you did it again. You can't go to God. That's the gospel message. I couldn't get to God, so that's why God came to me, right? You can't get to God. You can't be accepted. You can't be forgiven. Hide yourself. We have something in our minds that say that, right? So we end up hiding ourselves. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They hid from God. And if you look at scripture, you'll find so many people running away from the call of God in their life because that will, that's what shame will do. Shame will say, hide from God. Run away from the call of God in your life. Don't, don't do any of those things. That's what happened to Moses, right? Moses, he killed an Egyptian, right? He was, he was enslaving and punishing his brothers and sisters who were the Hebrews, right? He ends up killing. He take, he's trying to do God's will his way. Let me tell you, don't just do God's will your way because a lot of times it's not gonna turn out right. He tried to do God's will his way. And whenever he tried to do that, he took it in his own hands. He ended up killing the Egyptian. But what ended up happening was he saw two other Hebrew people that were getting into an argument. And he said, hey, you guys need to make it up. Don't do that, whatever. And the Hebrews respond back, what are you going to do, Moses? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And what Moses ended up doing, he ran away from Egypt. He went far away for years and years, for decades and decades, and he hid from the call of God on his life. And remember, God approached him and appeared to him in the form of a burning bush, said, Moses, I've called you to deliver my people. I've called you to set my people free. I've called you to do this. Moses responded by saying, no, God, send someone else. A lot of times we disqualify ourselves, but God never disqualifies us. And God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And here's what you need to understand. I feel the presence of God right now in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what you need to understand. The inclination of shame says to hide from God. But can I let you know the cure to shame? The cure to shame is not to hide from God. It's to hide in God. You need to stop hiding from God. You need to stop because you can run, but you cannot hide. Let me tell you that. You need to stop hiding from God, and you need to start hiding in God. Because the enemy says, hey, hide from me. But Jesus says, hey, abide in me. Abide in me as I abide in you. Because we have Jesus in our hearts. We have Jesus in our life when we repent of our sins. We believe Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I believe that. We have the Holy Spirit. A power so awesome. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But what happens a lot of times when it comes to our identity, when it comes to our insecurities, we don't choose to hide in God. We hide in our failures. We hide in our mistakes. We hide in our shortcomings. And Satan says, look at your sin. But I just hear God saying, hey, don't look at your sin. Look at my son. Don't look at your sin. Look at your son. And whenever God looks at you, if you've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over your life, you are a new creation, right? He doesn't see your shortcomings. He sees his son. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He sees your, his son. You are valued. You are loved. You are accepted. You are cherished. But here's what I want you to get. You are never meant to carry shame. 
And I believe that there are things that you can do that can help out in a big way when it comes to surrounding yourself with the right people, when it comes to, you know, being planted in a church and growing in God and serving, listening to the right voices, listening to the right music. But let me encourage you, it starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 through 3 says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, not on earthly things, but that's what we do a lot of times. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So yes, you may be in a deep, dark place tonight. You may feel abandoned, you may feel discouraged, you may feel forgotten, but give it to Jesus. Jesus is a person. I'm not just saying this because it sounds cool. I'm saying this because I've experienced in this in my own life, that if you give God your mess, he'll make it into a miracle. That whenever you give God your test, he'll turn it into a testimony. Whenever you give God your trial, he'll turn it into a triumph. Whenever you give God your scars, he'll turn it into stars for other people to see and for his name to be glorified. Amen? And here's my third point tonight. You are forgiven. Say, I am forgiven. If God didn't forgive sinners, he uh, heaven would be completely empty, guys. Don't think to yourself, oh, God can't forgive me. God can't forgive me. Let me tell you, God loves you so much. And you need to know that you are forgiven. But most of the time, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, right? And I was talking to my friend earlier this week, and we were talking about, like, our first job and stuff. And I was telling him how... You know, at my first job, I worked at Chandler Elementary School for a number of years. And I told him kind of funny stories that happened there. And he, he told me, Caleb, you know, my first job was at a farm. I worked on a ranch. And he said, I didn't have my license, um, but I didn't have my license, but they let me drive the truck. So they let, them drive, he let, they let him drive the truck. And as he was driving the truck one day, this is his first year on the job, I believe, he was backing up and he had the door wide open. And he didn't notice that there was a structure, an object, kind of in the way, I don't know if it was a fence or if it was like a wall or something like that. I forgot exactly what it was. But as he was backing up with this front door wide open, he ended up running into this, this thing, and the door ended up breaking. And, and one of his coworkers that had been there for such a long time, you feel like you're having a bad day today, that should encourage you. Your first job, you're breaking the boss's equipment, right? One of his coworkers who had been there for a number of years saw what happened. He came up to say, hey, man, what happened? And he explained it to him, and the, the boss came later on. I don't know if it was that day or right after that happened. And he asked, hey, who did this? And before my friend could respond, the coworker responded by saying, it was me. I did it. I'll take the blame. Whatever it may be, the boss walked away and said, okay, well, that's coming out of your paycheck. I don't know if he would have been as gracious on the person that just started working there, but he was more gracious on the person that had been there for such a long time. And the boss walked away, and my friend responded to his coworker, why did you do that, man? You didn't have to do any of that. He said, I know I didn't have to do any of that. I wanted to do that. He took the blame. And it reminds me of the story of Adam and Eve, because Adam, on his first job, he messed up. He messed up on his first job, just like my friend messed up on the first job. And the coworker took the blame. It doesn't make sense, right? But think about this. Jesus took the blame for your shame. Jesus took the blame in your life. And it doesn't make sense, right? Why would God do that? Why would God forgive me? 
because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to give you what you deserve. Jesus Christ came to give you what he deserves. And a lot of times we have such a hard time believing and asking God for forgiveness. But let me tell you, the first moment that you have a sincere, repentant heart saying, God, I know I messed up. God, I love you. God, please forgive. I'm going to try again. I may mess up again, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. If you do that the very first time, did you know that God hurt you? I think a lot of times we need to stop asking God to forgive us a thousand times a day, and we need to ask him and say, hey, God, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I know I, I, know I sinned a little bit earlier. Um, this may be my fifth time repenting. I just asked a second ago, but thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And guess what? Jesus doesn't just forgive. God doesn't just forgive, but he chooses to forget. He's not a forgetful God, but he chooses to forget. And if God loves you and he forgives you of all your mistakes, why can't you forgive and love yourself? And think about this, and I'm about to close as Haley comes up, so that way you know that I'm about to close. I don't know how long I've been going on, 35 minutes so far. But I want you to think about this real quick. And we didn't read this in the scripture, but you can look at it later in chapter three. After Adam and Eve messed up and they fell short, we find God slaughtering and killing an animal, taking the skin from the animal and covering covering them up to hide their shame. Now, I believe that this is the first, and Pastor Bobby mentioned this earlier back in Scripture, right? The only way that someone could be forgiven of their sins is for, for there to be blood that would have to be shed. Because the wages of sin is death, right? So I believe this is the first instance where an animal is killed so that way we could be forgiven. And, and, and the animal's skin covers them from head to toe, right? It covers them, and they, they have to be sent away from the garden, right? Did you know that Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice? He was the lamb of God slaughtered on the foundations of the earth for our salvation. And he paid the price for our sins. He he, he paid the price for everything that we've done wrong from Adam all the way to himself. He paid everything. He who knew no sin became sin so that way we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And in scripture, you'll find out that Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. You'll find out he's referred to as the second Adam. Catch what I'm about to say. Where the the first Adam was disobedient with the first tree, the second Adam was was obedient on the first tree. Where the first Adam was disobedient on the first tree, the second Adam was obedient with the second tree, with the, with, with the last tree. Where the first Adam gave us death, the second Adam gave us life. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam fulfilled. Where the first Adam gave us shame, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, took the blame. Where this first Adam brought a curse in our lives, the second Adam came and he says, you are blessed. What am I trying to say? If people are listening online, let me tell you something. This is all about Jesus. Jesus Christ did not come to shame sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you have sin, if you have shame, if you feel like you're a failure, you are not. And just like God asked Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, who told you that you were naked? Can I ask you something? This may be like an awkward question, but who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were an addict? Who told you that you were an adulterer? Who told you that you were anything less than a child of God and whom the Son is set free is free indeed? I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And just like God, just like God clothed Adam and Eve, Jesus Christ clothed us with his righteousness. And you are forgiven. Don't let condemnation grab a hold of you. Don't let depression grab a hold of you. Don't let shame grab a hold of you. Jesus came and he came to set us free from every weight, from every struggle. Don't just be content with just making it through life. Go through life with the spirit of just God. I want everything that you have for me. I refuse to let the enemy come and drop weights on my life because that's what shame is. Shame is a weight. God loves you. The blood of Jesus is greater than your greatest mistake. I love what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. It says this, if, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will what purify us from all unrighteousness. If you ever feel like you can't be forgiven, if you ever feel like you are a mistake, God can turn a great mess into a greatness, right? Read that scripture right there. Be reminded. Get it inside of your heart. Don't function off your feelings. Function and operate off the spirit of God and the word of God in your life. Romans chapter 10, I'm gonna close with the scripture. Verse 11 says this. Anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight. The answer to your shame is not found in your own strength, but it's found in God's grace. It's not, you, you can't save yourself. Stop trying to save yourself. God's love is not focused or is not dictated uh, by, by your good works, but it's focused on how good he is, right? You have, you have been forgiven. See, Satan says shame on you. This is my closing statement. Satan says shame on you, but Jesus says shame off you mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.